Pints with Jack, Season 3, Episode 31. After Hours with Lena Maslow. Good morning and welcome to Pints with Jack, a podcast where two enthusiastic C.S. Lewis amateurs get together, share a beverage and discuss a work of C.S. Lewis. And this season we've been reading through Till We Have Faces. But today is one of our After Hours episodes. I'm joined by author and illustrator Lena Maslow, who, assuming the coronavirus hasn't thrown it off, who today should have released an illustrated children's book about Lewis, which is called Through the Wardrobe, How C.S. Lewis Created Narnia. So, first of all, a little bit about her. Lena Maslow is an author and illustrator with a degree in art from New College of Florida. Though she spent most of her childhood in Florida, she was born in Ukraine and came to the United States at the age of five. Lena's debut book, Free as a Bird, The Story of Malala, is published by Bulza and Bray of HarperCollins. It's a Library Guild selection, as well as a 2019 CCBC choice, and the winner of the Living the Dream Book Award. Lena lives with her husband and children in South Carolina, and she's an active member of the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, and you can find her on Instagram and Twitter, which is how I found her, at Lena Maslow. Lena, welcome to Pints with Jack. Thank you, David. It's an honor to be here. <laughs> well, we've had many different kinds of people on this show, but I think this is the first time we've had a legit artist. Oh, wow. Well, thanks. <laughs> I'm honored. So on to Drink of the Week. And since today we're talking about a children's book, I thought I would drink one of my favorite childhood beverages, ginger beer. Are you drinking anything, Lena? Um, yep. I have an orange tea, a wild sweet orange tea from Tatsu brand with some honey. Excellent job. I really do like how so many of my guests are drinking tea. <laughs> I, I just I just think we're doing something good in the world, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And a ginger beer, is that uh, like a ginger ale? Is that similar? Uh, it's It's a similar kind of drink. It's not exactly the same. It's a little bit more effervescent and a little bit more gingery. Mm, okay. And this episode's quotation is from Lewis's essay on the three ways of writing for children. He wrote this. When I was 10, I read fairy tales in secret and would have been ashamed if I'd been found doing so. Now that I'm 50, I read them openly. When I became a man, I put away childish things, including the fear of childishness and the desire to be very grown up. So with that, cheers. Cheers. So Lena, just to... uh, Oh, actually, since, since this will be coming out just after Easter, Christos Voskres. Oh, Christos Voskres. Vaistina Voskres. <laughs> you know, a bit of Russian, Ukrainian. Uh, well, I, I, I go to a Byzantine Catholic church, so we do a lot of church Slavonic, and it's really similar. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, hopefully church will be back in session by Easter, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, yeah, no, no. How have you been doing with the virus and everything and... Have you gone stir crazy or are you an introvert like me that's actually you know, totally fine with never seeing anybody ever again? I am an introvert, but my children are home from school. So that kind of defeats the purpose of the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm homeschooling them slash trying to get things done. And it's sort of working, but not, not at full capacity. I think many parents are listening to you and uh, giving a quite hearty and loud amen. Yep. <laughs> So to kick things off, uh, can you please tell us how you became an artist? Well, let's see. Um, Like most artists, I was born with a brush in my hand. (laughs) But honestly, um, I've just I've been drawing since I was little. And I always knew that I wanted to be an artist when I grew up. 
I took all the uh, classes in high school and went to art school. It was actually after graduating from art school that um, it took me a couple of years to figure out where I wanted to um, focus my energies. And I was drawn to the world of children's books. I went to a few conferences and found out pretty soon that it was kind of hard to get into the business. But if you could also write your own books, you had a slightly better chance of getting in. So because I was such a big fan of nonfiction and biographies, I started to look into people that I admired to write about. And as you mentioned, my first book is called Free as a Bird. And it's a picture book biography about Malala Yousafzai. She's the youngest winner of the Nobel Peace Prize. And then Through the Wardrobe, my picture book about C.S. Lewis, is the second book that I have written and illustrated that was published. So pretty much I write so that I can draw and paint. <laughs> but I've, <laughs> grown, I've grown to really enjoy both parts of the process. Well, I'd like to talk about that process itself in a little bit. But before we get there, what's your story with C.S. Lewis? You say you admired him. When did you first come across him? Well, I do remember reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as a child, but I really didn't get into that series back then. I was more into mysteries like Nancy Drew and the Boxcar Children. So it was actually after having my own children that I rediscovered him through the movies, and then we read the series and the audiobooks, and then I kind of became curious as a person who loves biography about who this man was behind the, the series of the Narnia books. And do you have a favorite book of his? Uh, probably Paralandra and The Great Divorce are my favorites. Good choices. <laughs> yeah. And, and what about Narnian's story? Uh, I would go with right now The Horse and His Boy. Um, I just really, <laughs> I really love the main characters in that story. Shasta and Erebus, their personalities are so much fun and the horses um, and just all the difficulties that they go through, they all kind of line up to give you this really amazing ending that is just so interesting to see. That's an excellent choice. And the correct answer, because it's also my favorite. Oh, really? Nice. <laughs> awesome. It was the one that I hated as a child. I think it's because there was such a prominent girl as one of the characters. <laughs> and in the end, they're not getting married. And I was like, Ugh. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but as an adult, I could I could appreciate that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's funny how they get married, but they continue to argue. And like, you know, just let's just be realistic here. <laughs> My fiancé has assured me we will never argue. Okay. <laughs> uh, so you've just released your book, Through the Wardrobe, How C.S. Lewis Created Narnia, and you dedicated it to your sons. Uh, you, you said that that you wrote about the people that you loved. Was there anything in particular that made you think, okay, Lewis needs to be a book ahead of these other guys? Mm -hmm. Well, after I read the Chronicles of Narnia, I read a lot of biographies about him, uh, one in particular called The Narnian by Alan Jacobs. And after reading that book, I began to notice that there were all these connections between his life, especially in his childhood, and the Narnia books. And as an illustrator, I began to see images in my mind on how I could illustrate his life. And that's when I began to see that I might have a picture book idea. So picture books are like this combination of words and pictures. Both have to be engaging, engaging, but they also can't just repeat what you know each other is saying. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so from the beginning, I saw images of Jack sitting at his desk, surrounded by the characters, sort of waiting for him to write the story. I saw him thinking about the wardrobe and it kind of opening in his mind. Um, and yeah, I just became inspired to write his story. And also, um, many of his inspirations came from his childhood experiences. And that's something that kids want to know about. They love to see their heroes as children going through the same things that they went through. So as someone who writes and illustrates for kids, I'm always on the lookout for people that have interesting childhoods. And he definitely had one of those. And go on to do great things. Yeah. We'll also talk about that. But now let's talk about the book itself, because you did everything. You did the researching, the writing, and the illustrating. Uh, can you just unpack that? What was what was that like? What did that look like? Well, it began with a lot of reading. That's for sure. Um, a lot of books by C.S. Lewis, books about C.S. Lewis. Um, you might know that there are a lot of books about him, a lot of biographies written about him. Um, each one is from a unique point of view with differing opinions about him. So I had to kind of pick and choose which ones, you know, I not necessarily liked, but, you know, just like five or six main ones. Um, and then just, I just did a lot of reading and note taking. And then the books that I read by him were, of course, he has his autobiography, Surprised by Joy. And then I had to read the Narnia Chronicles. And I went through Boxen, the Childhood Chronicles before Narnia, and some of those great essays, uh, one you mentioned on three ways of writing for children. Another, it began with a picture. And I just really just read most of his works just to get a feel for his voice. And am I right in saying that you traveled to England and Ireland? Yes, we did. We took a trip. Um, let's see. My husband isn't the biggest fan of travel, but I did need a chauffeur for that trip. So <laughs> I kind of just booked a ticket for us and our two boys. And we went to Ireland and England. Um, we went in November, which probably wasn't the best time to go. <laughs> But <laughs> little chilly. Yeah. But Ireland was still very beautiful and green. And um, we got to see his childhood home from from the gate because it's privately owned right now. But for the most part, I went there just to um, kind of explore the cliffs and the meadows and the castles, you know, like that land of fairy that Lewis is always reminiscing about. I kind of wanted to get a feel for that. And I just, you know, took a lot of pictures um, and then we, well, we also traveled up the coast of Northern Ireland, visited Bally Castle, which was a place that he went with his mother in the summer and his brother. And then we took the ferry to England, which was not fun, but we did it. That's, that's a choppy crossing. I've done that one before. <laughs> yeah, but we had a car, so we didn't really have a choice. <laughs> we visited Malvern College, which was uh, one of the boarding schools that Lewis attended. We also visited Oxford University, took a stroll through Addison's Walk, uh, saw Maudlin College and the Tower, just kind of walked through there, imagining uh, Jack walking there with Tolkien and Dyson on that famous midnight walk. Uh, We went into the Eagle and Child for a little bit, but since we had children with us, they wouldn't let us in. Oh, my goodness. Standards in England have seriously gone down. Uh, Yeah. So we just took some pictures in front of it. Um, Mm. We visited some castles in England, uh, the kilns, of course, where Jack spent most of his adult life and did some of his writing. 
I got to sit at his writing desk in his study, which was very cool. Um, and then not too far from the kilns was his grave in the church that he went to. So we visited that. And yeah, I mean, I think that kind of sums it up. Did a lot of picture taking mostly, not a lot of writing. <laughs> <laughs> but I think if I was just the writer, I would probably still go just to get a feel for his experiences. And yeah. Just going in the church and sitting down, they actually haven't apparently got the quite the right pew, but apparently he sat in an area where he could purposefully hide behind a pillar. Oh, well, the pew that we sat in was right next to the pillar, but that's what the guy that was there told us. <laughs> you hear you hear various things, but yeah, I I I went I sat in that one as well. Okay. <laughs> And when we were talking before, you mentioned that you had uh, received a lot of help from the Wade Center. Mm -hmm. For people who aren't familiar, what is the Wade Center? Right. So the Marion E. Wade Center is in Wheaton, Illinois. And if you're not familiar with it, it's like a museum slash research center for authors like C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, Dorothy Sayers, George MacDonald, and a few others. It houses the famous Lewis family wardrobe. They also have all kinds of memorabilia, such as drawings by Pauline Baines. They have desks and pens that used to belong to Lewis and Tolkien and some manuscripts. They also have a reading room with just about all the books written by and about these authors, which is very helpful. They have papers and letters and photographs. And the people that work there were just very helpful with the research process. They can answer just about any question you throw at them, especially about C.S. Lewis. Did you speak to David Downing? Uh, no, I did not. I didn't get a chance to. I just, <laughs> again, I was in there in, in like the dead of winter when everything was just super quiet. <laughs> and um, it was really nice. Honestly, like I think my favorite thing about it was just to be able to sit in a really quiet room uninterrupted, which I don't get very often here. And As just, a mother of two small boys, I can imagine. Uh, well, two boys and two girls, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness, that's more than I even thought. Okay. <laughs> uh, they're, they're a little bit older now, but yeah, they're a handful. But yeah, it was very nice. I was able to see copies of his letters to children there, and I got to see his handwriting and kind of copied it down so that I could recreate it for the book. So, yes, if you are going to write a book about Lewis or Tolkien, I would definitely recommend going to or even just contacting the Wade Center. And in the acknowledgments, you also mentioned Douglas Gresham, Lewis's stepson. Mm -hmm. How was he involved? So towards the end of the process, um, when we had the manuscript just about finished, my editor and my actually my publisher decided that they would try to reach out to Douglas Gresham because my publisher is HarperCollins and the Narnia Chronicles are also published by HarperCollins. So they had that contact through the Narnia editor. And luckily for us, he replied and he had a couple of thoughts. So <laughs> no, nothing major, but we did end up tweaking a few things here and there. Uh, he had like, you know, some knowledge about things that I hadn't even come across in like all of the biographies I had read. For example, he told us that Jack had been claustrophobic as a child, which I had huh. never read. And that Jack would probably not have been in the wardrobe. <laughs> and so initially my sketches showed Jack, his brother, and his cousins all inside the wardrobe. But as you see in the final illustration, I have Jack outside of the wardrobe and telling the stories 
to his cousins. So I think, yeah, it was very helpful to have Douglas give us some input and advice on that. Excellent. I didn't know that either. Mm-hmm. All, all I knew from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is that it's a very foolish thing to shut oneself up inside a wardrobe. <laughs> Apparently, he never even went in, so. <laughs> now, since Lewis's life was repeatedly marked by tragedy, mm-hmm. a book about his life is going to cover some quite adult concepts and topics. How did you go about tr- you know, communicating that information to children? Right. So a picture book is usually aimed at kids four to eight. In my opinion, it's for people of all ages, zero and up. So picture books have to be appropriate and interesting, you know, from the child that's sitting in the lap to the parent or grandparent reading it. And in this case, from the student doing a book report to the Narnia enthusiast, such as yourself. So it has to cover this range of people. Um, And if you don't mind, I'm going to drop one of my favorite Lewis quotes here. Not at all. Lewis quotes are always welcome here. From On Three Ways of Writing for Children, which I would recommend all writers to read. Uh, Quote, since it is so likely that they, children, will meet cruel enemies, let them at least have heard of brave knights and heroic courage. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. So, yeah. So the most important thing with kids is, I think, not to talk down to them. And children can handle difficult topics. That being said, there are still some limits with the picture book audience. Uh, I try to be as honest as I can without being overly dramatic or scary. For example, I write in the book that Jack's mother became sick and died. Children have a basic understanding of what death is, but I'm also, for this age range, not going to go into the details of her disease or, you know, of of her dying. I'll leave that up to the parents to explain if they feel the need. Um, I also talk about bullying and Jack's struggles with fitting in. This is something that a lot of kids deal with, but again, I have to keep that four-year-old in mind. So I say that it happens, talk briefly about his Jack's reaction to it, but don't go into too much detail about how it happened. So if this was a middle grade now, a middle grade novel for older children, I could elaborate a little bit more on that. So it just depends on the age range. Gotcha. Yeah. And do you write the story first or do the illustrations first? So there's a lot of overlap for me uh, as author and illustrator. Um, As I mentioned earlier, I did imagine some of the images for the book before I even started to write it. So I did a few sample art pieces just to get them out of my system. And then I started to do the research and the note taking. While I did that, I was sketching Jack, watching documentaries about him, sketching, you know, uh, the time period. Um, Then I wrote several drafts of the manuscript. And as I did that, I drew these little thumbnails, which kind of helped me figure out page turn and composition. Mm. Um, And you also have to um, consider page count as you're doing this. So your typical picture book is 32, 40, or 48 pages. So you have to keep that in mind as you're doing it. Uh, during this time that I'm writing, though, my editor doesn't didn't see any of my drawing process. Um, she's just seeing the writing. So really, the writing did come first. And then once we, we uh, got to a point where we felt like the revision was pretty close to being done, 
I did the sketches and sent them to her and the art director. And then they looked over that. And uh, once that was approved, then we could go to the final art, the final illustrations. And what was the process on that, going from a sketch to a fully colored inked drawing? Well, I take my sketch and um, I put it on a tracing table. And then I put like a piece of watercolor paper over that. And for this book, I decided to do it in a dip pen and ink, just like Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. (laughs) I used sepia inks and violet colored inks. And then I painted over that with acrylic paints and ink and then did more detail on top of that. And that took a couple of months. And people can see little videos of you doing this on your Twitter account, correct? Yeah, if you dig back far enough, my Instagram and Twitter, (laughs) you can find little videos of me drawing and painting. Yeah, I can't describe the amount of self-control it's taken because I first found out about this, it was at least a year ago. I was like, oh my goodness, how long do I have to wait? (laughs) But the day is almost here. Almost here. Time does pass. (laughs) So what I'd like to do now is talk through some of the scenes in your book. And in so doing, talk about Jack's life. So where do you begin his story? Well, I began his story at that moment where he chooses his name. So Clive Staples Lewis did not like his name. He imagined himself as more of a Jack. And <laughs> I love that idea because I think it showed his imagination and stubbornness all at once from like age four. And I just thought that was really funny. Um, Jack had a pretty idyllic childhood. He was the baby of the family with one brother, Warney. They spent most of their days playing outside, riding bikes. And when it wasn't raining, when it wasn't raining, and then when it was, they were in the attic and their mother supplied them with all kinds of supplies. And that was probably one of my favorite pictures of the book. (laughs) One of the things I liked was he was surrounded by all of the books that I'd heard him speak about in his books, uh, Beatrix Potter, Five Children in It, Gulliver's Travels. And I also noticed that you had copied some of Lewis's own boxing pictures that were up on the wall. Right. Yeah. So I mentioned that book earlier, Boxing, Childhood Chronicles Before Narnia. It's sort of a collection of his and Warney's Uh, writings and illustrations from this world that they created called Boxen. And yeah, I thought it would be fun to just take those illustrations and put them up on the walls and in their little notebooks, kind of show his process and his inspirations for what came later on. I was actually reading your book to my girlfriend earlier in the week. And as we were going through this, I said, and can you see the mouse? (laughs) Getting her to point out, because there's a, there's a lovely little drawing of, of a mouse fighting a cat in the bottom right-hand corner. Yeah, yeah, that's probably one of my favorites. And then you talk about Lewis telling stories to his cousins. Can you, can you fill in the, the biographical details of that? Mm-hmm. So there was this letter written by one of Jack's cousins, Claire Lewis Clapperton, in which she describes, quote, sitting when very small in the wardrobe, while Jack told us his tales of adventure, unquote. And this was a letter I was actually able to see thanks to the Wade Center. Uh, So this was a firsthand source. (laughs) And so this elaborately carved wardrobe was carved by Jack's grandfather, Richard Lewis. Uh, The cousins would sit in there when they came for Christmas, and Jack, with his big imagination, would tell stories. And he loved this wardrobe so much after his father died, he 
had it shipped over to the kilns. And then after his own death, it was donated to the Wade Center in Illinois, where you can go see it. Um, also for fun, right next to the wardrobe, I've included a little a little scarf and umbrella to sort of hint at what is to come. Mr. Tumless. <laughs> and that was one thing that I saw throughout the, the, the scenes. There were these little nods to the land of Narnia, little, little foreshadowings. Right. <laughs> yep, I put those in there. And then we get to the, the sad part. Well, one of the several sad parts of the story, his mother dying. Right, right. So when he was nine years old, his world was turned upside down by his mother's death. He lived in fear, really, for those for months as his mother was dying of cancer. The doctor, uh, doctors and nurses were coming and going, those noises and whispers in the night that he writes about. That particular line, that was what jumped out at me in my notes I wrote. Because uh, you, you, you see in the, you see shadows from a, from a doorway falling across his room and immediately popped into my head, surprised by joy, where he says, the house became full of strange smells, midnight noises, and sinister whispered conversations. Right. And that's the line that I had in mind when I, when I drew that. But even in that dark scene, there's still uh, hints of joy to come because you have this carpet and there are some images on that carpet that look an awful lot like a lion, uh, a witch and a winged horse. <laughs> right. And that's the fun thing about um, nonfiction picture books. You sort of uh, have this artistic license that you can take with the illustrations. In this case, I chose to give the rug some details that hinted at the magician's nephew, because that book is also about a boy whose mother is dying. And he goes on an adventure and comes back with an apple that heals her. And if you notice, there's also a little apple on his nightstand. And also in the rug design. Right, right. Lots of apples. <laughs> that was a fun rug to design. And then the sadness continues. He goes to boarding school. Right. Yeah, he went through several boarding schools, one worse than the other. Uh, well, the first one was pretty bad. So the headmaster in the first boarding school was literally insane. He was eventually sent to an insane <laughs> asylum. Uh, both Jack and Warney went to that school for a few years and there was physical punishment involved. Although Jack didn't get so much of that, he did witness a lot of it. He also learned nothing in those years. He came back and did a few months in Belfast of a boarding school, but his father decided that he would be better off in England uh, I don't know. I guess back then people from Ireland sent their children to English boarding schools so that they could have those connections or whatnot. So, and also I think to somewhat lose the accent, lose that Irish accent. Yes. Mm. Um, and then he ended up, so then he ended up going to Malvern college and that's the one that I show in the book. That's the one that I visited. And it's a little bit sad that he had a bad experience there because the school is just so beautiful. But of course, that has nothing to do with it. <laughs> in Surprise by Joy, he talks a lot about the bullying that went on there. Uh, mostly, he just didn't fit into that system of sports and hierarchy. And mm -hmm. he just kept begging his father to take him out of there. And even his brother, Warney, was a little bit like this was like their one disagreement they had in their life. Because Warney had a great time at that school and Jack just didn't. So... Yeah, I went to a boarding school that was also very sports heavy and I absolutely hated it. <laughs> uh, but I do like the detail in that picture because you see lampposts 
And I'm right in saying that pretty much any school that he went to claims that, oh, he was inspired by the lamppost at our school. Yes. So the one in Belfast also had lampposts and they claim, you know, that theirs is the lamppost. But I would say this one is more likely to be the lamppost because he did come back to Malvern as an adult. He had a former student, I believe, that went on to teach there or something. So and I like those lampposts better. So I included the one from Malvern in my book. But fortunately, he's then sent to Kirkpatrick. Yes, fortunately. And he does flourish under Kirkpatrick's tutelage. He learns to read, you know, famous works in their original language, like Homer's Iliad in Greek. And Kirkpatrick was a really interesting kind of a guy, too. He really influenced Jack a lot. He was very logical, and I think he taught Jack how to debate very well. Uh, And he was also the inspiration uh, for Professor Kirk in the Narnia Chronicles. And in both real life and in your illustrations, he has fantastic facial hair. (laughs) That was based on a photograph of him. (laughs) So what happens next in his story? Right. So then we go to World War I. Well, he does go to Oxford for just a little bit. He sort of gets in, kind of. Um, His math scores are sort of keeping him out at this point, but he's sort of got a foot in the door. Uh, But then he's called into World War I and begins in the trenches on his 19th birthday. Mm. And then all of the friends, he's made friends at Oxford and they all go to the war. They pretty much all end up dying in the war. And so, I mean, the war has a big effect on him, even though he doesn't really go on to write about it too much or talk about it too much. He He did admit at one point that he had a lot of nightmares for many years from the war. And... Obviously, it affected his faith further on. We didn't really talk about that yet, but, you know, um, and his poetry and his writing. And you actually have him in the book writing poetry in the trenches. Right. So the majority, or did you want to maybe read what he says? Uh, He's writing, fairies must be in the woods or the satyrs laughing broods. Right. So he wrote poetry in the trenches and... It was it was published under the title Spirits in Bondage. I don't know if you've had a chance to read those poems. I know of its existence, but no. Nah. The majority of these poems are very depressing and <laughs> very disturbing, actually. But I did come across a few gems that sort of pointed towards the light, towards his love of fairy. And this was one of the lines that I found in there. It was a poem called Song, actually, is what it's called. Um, in, under some titles, it's called Fairy Song, but it's a really beautiful poem amidst his sort of anger toward a God that he didn't believe in at this point. Because of your book, this is the only poem of his that I think I've actually read. <laughs> it's on my to-do list. Uh, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to get through it, so don't worry about it. And then you bring him to Oxford, and you've got pictures on both sides of the book. And I really loved it, because one of them shows Lewis walking deep in thought, Uh, showing that he's kind of on a journey. And then on the opposite page, you have him standing atop all of the books that he's written. Right. So this was one of the more difficult scenes, actually, to figure out, because I had to pretty much show a decade of his life in the middle of this book, explain his struggles with imagination and writing, and then also sort of show his conversion 
and his rising up from the ashes. And this was really like a 10 year period from his mid twenties to his mid thirties. So, so five years per picture, that seems perfectly reasonable. Right, right. <laughs> so after the war, he went back to Oxford and got his degrees in Greek and Latin, philosophy, English, all sorts of degrees. But he really struggled a lot with the anger and the pain he felt after the war and after his mother's death. Um, he did land a job at Oxford, and he stayed there for, for quite a while. But he went on this uh, long and winding journey toward faith that was kind of hard to sum up for the picture book audience. So I could really only highlight a few uh, aspects of it, but um, it kind of begins with his mother's death and unanswered prayer. And uh, he begins to question God's goodness when he's in the boarding schools and loses his faith probably in his early teens. And he was raised in a uh, Irish Protestant household. So he just sort of struggles through that and through the war and then Oxford and becomes an atheist. But then, as you know, if you've read Surprised by Joy, there's also this underlying search for joy and longing that he's also felt all his life. And he's trying to figure that out. So he gets these longings of joy when he reads, you know, his favorite books like Squirrel Nutkin or Norse mythology. Um, when his brother gives him the toy garden, he feels this longing or joy. And so he sort of goes on this journey looking for joy. And he does end up finding it back in his faith. Uh, first, he converts to theism and then to Christianity with also the help of Tyson, I mean, Dyson and Tolkien. Uh, and these friends, he happens to... If they were a celebrity couple, then they would be Tyson. <laughs> oh, man. But it's funny because he's in Oxford and he keeps making friends and, and then he finds out they're Christian. He's like, what is going on? So, <laughs> but he finds connections with these, these people who love story and myth and yeah, and they're also of great faith. So. And then we come to the very center of the book and he finally begins to start writing Narnia. Right. Well, yeah. So he writes obviously a lot of uh, other books, you know, about faith and and love and pain and all kinds of things. But then he gets to the middle of his life and he's had these images in his mind of a fawn standing in a wood and of a, a queen sitting in a sled and a, a lion. And so he begins to write the story of Narnia. Um, but yeah, so I do include that in the middle because I wanted it to be like the climactic moment of the book. Um, it's sort of what the book leads up to, what all of those moments in his life lead him to, which I think is his masterpiece, The Chronicles of Narnia. I'd agree. Whenever I give a talk about Lewis, people always ask me what I think they should read. And I'll throw out some of my favorites. But I say, if you haven't read The Chronicles of Narnia, right. that's where you need to go. Yep. Don't don't just think that because they're children's books that they don't have anything to say to you. Right. I agree. And you then address the fact that evacuees start turning up at the kilns. Right. So it's World War II, and Jack is about 40 years old when World War II starts. Luckily or unluckily for him, he has inju injuries from the First World War, so he doesn't have to go and fight. 
but he chooses instead to patrol the streets at night, and then him and Mrs. Moore end up housing groups of evacuees over a few years. And quite a, a few evacuees actually come through his doors, from infants to teenagers, usually a few at a time. Um, yeah, always in and out <laughs> during World War II. And then you say that one little girl asked him if there was anything behind the wardrobe, and that was another catalyst for bringing Narnia to life. Right. So <clears throat> this was a story that Jack told his friends, and it was written down by uh, many sources, but we don't actually know the name of this girl. Uh, some people have speculated that it could have been June Fluitt, one of the inspirations for the character of Lucy, but she was interviewed by the Telegraph once, and when they asked her if she was the one who asked about it, she said, I don't know. I don't think so. It might have been. So it was a little vague, uh, mm-hmm. a little vague on who it was, but it was definitely somebody. And a lot of Lewis's friends weren't particularly excited about Narnia when they first started seeing it. Yeah, it's a little sad. So obviously the most famous of those friends was Tolkien. He wasn't a big fan of the Narnia Chronicles. And it's not that he didn't like children's stories, obviously. He just didn't like that Jack wrote them so quickly and haphazardly in his mind, mixing up all those myths and legends that made Tolkien uncomfortable. (laughs) I love the line in your book. It says, talking animals, mythical creatures, and Father Christmas in one book. It didn't make sense. Yeah, and to Tolkien, it didn't make sense. Everything had to be, you know, has to be in its place with Tolkien. Um, On top of that, uh, Jack's publisher thought that the books would have a negative impact on his reputation as this famous Christian apologetic. And I wasn't able to get this in, but even Mrs. Moore and Maureen, those people that uh, Jack was taking care of his entire life, laughed at the idea of him writing books for children because he had never had any of his own children. So he actually came to a point where he destroyed his first manuscripts and tried to ignore and forget it. But he couldn't keep the story in. And as you know, children ended up loving the book and the rest is history. <laughs> and in the history of your book, you got a series of panels where you're alluding to each of the stories. I, I, I really liked uh, the ones from Prince Caspian and Dawn Treader. To, to awaken the trees and waters and bring the badgers and squirrels and hares out of hiding. To sail through nightmares and darkness and dragony thoughts towards the sweet waters of Aslan's country. Thank you. I was able to get some of my, the poet in me out with those lines. Uh, So the point of, I I wasn't really trying to summarize the books really, but just trying to capture the essence of them, I guess, while at the same time connecting them to Jack's uh, life and his experiences. So with Prince Caspian, I was trying to um, remember his childhood growing up in Ireland, his love of animals and nature. The Voyage of the Dawn Treader sort of reflects his conversion and journey of faith, going through hard times and coming out on the other side of that. Yeah, just little hints. And you do draw some lessons from uh, his books. You, you tell your readers some of the things that Narnia teaches to stand up to bullies. And one very profound and heavy line that the worst moments of life are only leading you to become the person you are meant to be. Right. So that was sort of the summary, if you want to call it, of the horse and his boy. And this wasn't this one was actually the toughest one to figure out for me because I couldn't figure out what where is the connection here? 
between this and Jack's life. And I kind of went back and forth with the romance part. And I was like, I don't know. Um, and then and then I realized, really, the whole thing was almost like a reflection of his entire life and journey as a writer. So the difficulties he went through, the experiences that he experienced led him to write the Chronicles of Narnia, which might have been his destiny all along. And then you start talking about the letters that were written to him. And a very nice touch is that on the inside covers of the book, on the front and the back, you have letters that children sent to Jack and then his replies. Mm -hmm. And they are actual letters, right? I recognize quite a few of them. Right. So I came across Jack's letters to children early on in a book called C.S. Lewis Letters to Children. And I, like I mentioned, I also saw copies of these letters at the Wade Center. Um, but his letters from children, I actually had to invent because he destroyed all of his correspondence. Um, in the beginning, I had letters from him at the start and the end of the book. And then my editor or art director had the idea that, you know, I should include the letters from the children. So I was like, oh, I got excited. I was like, that's a great idea. I contacted the Wade Center. They're like, no, Jack destroyed all of those. So we actually, I think, I believe we got permission from Douglas to sort of invent the letters that children wrote to him. And there is a note in the back of the book that says that that was the case. But I loved, I love his letters to children because it, it sort of shows this side of him that's funny and insightful and encouraging, uh, just encouraging to all budding writers and children everywhere. And it, I thought it would be nice to end the book on that note. Mm. It, it's it's definitely one of my favorites. I think I read them all in about two days, the letters to children, and they're just so delightful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, there's a scene at the beginning where he talks about having a connection with children. And he says he was just at a restaurant and he just sighed and said, oh, I hate prunes. And this little voice nearby went, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was funny. <laughs> uh, or actually might have even been around the other way. The, the child might have been complaining about prunes and he was agreeing. I, yeah, I think that's from the essay on three ways of writing for children where he talks about that and how he, do, yeah, he doesn't talk down to children because they're, they're just people, you know, people like you and me. And for what it's worth, I hate prunes as well. Me too. <laughs> uh, but of course, one of his most famous correspondents was Joy Davidman, who later became his wife. Right. And this was, again, you had it, you had a very difficult thing to do to try and communicate the joyfulness of meeting Joy, but also she doesn't live very long. Right. Yeah. So uh, Jack and Joy, you know, were pen pals for a while. They became friends. And then she ended up coming to England with her two sons. And it was sort of a slow romance, but they did end up getting married. And like you said, I couldn't include too much about their life in the book, but I did want to show at least one illustration of them together. I don't... Um, Let's see. She did, like you said, she died of cancer at the age of 45. So they were only married for a couple of years. And he was really heartbroken after this loss. I think he only lived for a few years after that. Um, he died for medical reasons also, but I think he also died from heartbreak. And in the book, I wanted to give them a happy ending. So at the end, they walk through a door, which is death, but a good kind of death. It's the door in the last battle. Uh, which leads to another world, a better world. And they go through it together. Yeah, you just see them holding hands, walking off into the distance and reaper cheap closing the door. <laughs> I, 
when you sent me an advanced copy, I took a picture of it, sent it to my girlfriend and said, shut up. I'm not crying. You're crying. Uh, yes. Reaper cheap. <laughs> he was uh, one of Jack's favorite characters from the Narnia books. And that's pretty much where the story wraps up. You've got two sections at the end of the book, more about Jack and interesting facts. Can you tell us about those a bit? Well, so more about Jack is just all of those things that I couldn't fit into the main text of the book or just maybe didn't want to include because they would interrupt the narrative arc. Uh, things like dates of birth and death, names of people and places, things I thought that people would want to know about Jack, but I had to leave out. So more information about his family, education, the wars, his journey faith, his writing career. Also, the Inklings, sadly, had to leave them kind of out of the main text, but I really wanted to give them a little paragraph in there. And also wanted to show that Tolkien did have some redeeming qualities. <laughs> I'm not a hater of Tolkien, just wanted to clarify. We're going we're gonna to talk about future projects. I, I'm still a fan of you doing a version of Leaf by Nickel. Hmm. Uh, I've looked in, I mean, you know, I, I've sort of read it and we'll see. We'll see. It's his version of The Great Divorce. So if The Great Divorce is one of your favorite of Lewis's. Okay. Just a suggestion. I'll look into it. <laughs> and what about the other interesting facts? Because I, I like it because you explain why Lewis chose Turkish delight. Right. So, yeah. So during World War II, a lot of the food items were rationed. Uh, candy was rare. And, of course, one favorite for British children was Turkish delight. So it wouldn't have been surprising to children to British children uh, during that time that someone would sell out all of their siblings for a room full of it. Uh, are you are you a fan, by the way? I do like it. And when you visit the kilns, well, at least when I visited the kilns, they gave us some Turkish delight at the end of our tour. And I grew up liking Turkish delight. And definitely the, the more expensive stuff is much nicer than, than, than the mass-produced stuff. But it's probably also one of the most consistent things when when people come to me with their C.S. Lewis confessions, it's usually about which books they haven't read and also the fact that they were all excited to try Turkish Delight, tried it and thought it was revolting. <laughs> well, I did not like it the first time that I tried it. Uh, I did try that rose-flavored chocolate-covered stuff that they sell in the grocery stores, which I do not like. Yeah, it's not that great. But then I came across a box of like really good pistachio flavor. I think it was really mm -hmm. yummy. So... If it's the if it's the right kind, I do like it. And I'm convinced that the White Witch wouldn't have given Edmund cheap Turkish delight. No, definitely not. He would have had the yummy fluffy type with powdered sugar all over it. Exactly. <laughs> and when people tell me that they didn't like Turkish delight, my follow-up question is always, so for what candy bar would you sell out your siblings? Mm, true. And almost always, they're usually very quick with a response. Almost like they thought about it. <laughs> Well, what do people usually say? I don't even know. I want to know what I would say. Maybe a Milky Way. Stickers? Yeah. Personally, Turkish Delight would work for me. Okay. <laughs> uh, but the good stuff. I'm not, I'm not betraying my sister for anything less. Uh, and the other thing I liked in this section is you ended with a picture of the Chronicles of Narnia in order <laughs> of publication, which made me just so happy. <laughs> yeah, I knew you would mention that. Yeah. Are you, are you a chronology snob as well? I am, I am sort of, but honestly, I kind of in included it that way for pr practical reasons, because that's the order that Jack wrote them in or finished writing them in. And that's the order that I sh show them in, in the book. But I also agree that they should be 
read in that order, especially Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe needs to come first before The Magician's Nephew. Otherwise, the whole thing is just forget about it. Completely agree. <laughs> Glad we got that cleared up. <laughs> right. <laughs> and do you have any other projects in the pipeline? Like I said, I'd like to see you do Leaf by Nickel by Tolkien. And I also thought you could do some spin-offs. So I'd like to see The Illustrated Adventures of Reaper Cheap and Puddle Glum, A Marsh Wiggle Story. Hmm. Those are pretty good ideas. I might have to run them by the publisher and see what they think. We'll see how this <laughs> book does. And and um, if it does well, then maybe they'll give me some Lewis projects in the future. Who knows? But right now I'm looking at other people that are interesting to me, other artists and um, people that I admire. Nothing official yet, but I'm also inspired in general by uh, C.S. Lewis's writing career. So he never pigeonholed himself into any style or genre. Mm -hmm. And he was always influenced by the books that he loved, his own life experiences, and then combined that with his imagination to write stories that only he could have written. So I'm kind of wondering, what are the stories that only I can write? How about a story about a mother trapped at home with all of her children <laughs> and not allowed to leave that will connect with a lot of people? Yeah, but half the world kind of uh, feels that right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if that's a unique experience. <laughs> it's something I think everybody could connect to. Very true. Very true. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sitting down and uh, chatting with me today. Yeah, thank you. As things draw to a close, pun very much intended, uh, can you please tell us where people can buy the book and where they can find out more about you and your work? Well, you can find Through the Wardrobe, How C.S. Lewis Created Narnia almost anywhere online, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Amazon, IndieBound. Um, some bookstores will probably carry it. Um, there's even a Kindle version that will be coming out. Um, if you do have an extra moment, you can contact your local independent bookstore and order from them or ask your local library to carry a copy so you can put it on hold. And you can find me online at lenamaslow.com. And I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at lenamaslow. Wonderful stuff. All right. Thank you. And listeners, please join us next time when we'll be chatting with Trent Horn. And we're going further up. And further in. Cheers. Cheers. 